So we are going to have our call to worship. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. God of Anna, lead us. Lead us into your kingdom. With tenacity of faith, faith, lead us. Lead us together. Lead us to freedom. God of Miriam, lead us. Lead us into your kingdom. With songs of hope, lead us. Lead us together. Lead us to freedom. God of Amos, Hosea and Joel, lead us. Lead us into your kingdom. With eyes opened wide to the world around us. Lead us together. Lead us to freedom. God of Jeremiah and of those called Isaiah, lead us. Lead us into your kingdom. From darkness to light, lead us. Lead us together. Lead us to freedom. And so we come to God with our prayers of approach, which we will follow as is becoming our practice by saying the Lord's Prayer in our own first languages and the versions with which we are most familiar. So let's pray together. God, who spoke to your people in ancient times through prophetesses and prophets, we draw near to you in worship and praise. Like the psalmists of old, we delight in the wonder of nature, all of it the work of your love. On clear winter nights, the silvery white moon and twinkling stars enchant us as we gaze upwards. Frosty mornings reveal new patterns of ice crystals on shiny surfaces and jewel-like frost fringes twigs and branches. Red-breasted robins flitting from fence to fence bring a smile to our faces. Red hollyberries with sh- and shiny green leaves. Trees in their winter silhouettes. So much in which to delight that it almost overwhelms us. And all of it has its origins in you. But, like the prophets of old, we look around us and see that all is not well in the world that you love. On the pavements of our cities, women and men sit huddled up, holding out paper cups and asking for coins. In shops, offices, restaurants and hotels... Twilight shifts are worked by people on zero-hour contracts and minimum wages. Payday lenders extort the most vulnerable with impossible interest rates. Some families queue for handouts, whilst others hide away in shame or embarrassment. Our society is sick and needs to be healed Meanwhile, 
We are guilty of bargain hunting, of empire building, of self-serving greed. Sometimes the ugliness of societal sin overwhelms us. Sometimes the shackles of corporate complicity seem unbreakable. But you, God of the prophets, offer us another vision. A promise of release for all held captive. A promise of a new world order. Of an end to pain and tears. Violence and injustice. A kingdom of shalom for which we now pray in the words Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory, forever and ever. Our first reading today is from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at the first verse. Comfort my people, says our God. Comfort them. Encourage the people of Jerusalem. Tell them they have suffered long enough and their sins are now forgiven. I have punished them in full for all their sins. A voice cries out, prepare in the wilderness a road for the Lord. Clear the way in the desert for our God. Fill every valley, level every mountain. The hills will become a plain and the rough country will be made smooth. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and the whole human race will see it. The Lord himself has promised this. A voice cries out, proclaim a message. What message shall I proclaim, I ask? Proclaim that all human beings are like grass. They last no longer than wild flowers. Grass withers and flowers fade. When the Lord sends the wind blowing over them, people are no more enduring than grass. Yes, grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Jerusalem, go up on a high mountain and proclaim the good news. Call out with a loud voice, Zion, announce the good news. Speak out. And do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah that their God is coming. The sovereign Lord is coming to rule with power, bringing with him the people he has rescued. He will take care of his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs together and carry them in his arms. He will gently lead their mothers. Our second reading is Psalm 85. Lord, you have been merciful to your land. You have made Israel prosperous again. You have forgiven your people's sins and pardoned all their wrongs. You stopped being angry with them and held back your furious rage. Bring us back, O God our Saviour, and stop being displeased with us. Will you be angry with us forever? 
will your anger never cease. Make us strong again, and we, your people, will praise you. Show us your constant love, O Lord, and give us your saving help. I am listening to what the Lord God is saying. He promises peace to us, his own people, if we do not go back to our foolish ways. Surely he is ready to save those who honour him, and his saving presence will remain in our land. Love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Human loyalty will reach up from the earth, and God's righteousness will look down from heaven. The Lord will make us prosperous, and our land will produce rich harvest. Righteousness will go before the Lord and prepare the path for him. Thanks be to God. So as we're kind of in this festive time of year, and as if you like me, you've noticed that there are a heck of a lot of quizzes on television, I thought we'd have a little bit of a quiz this morning. Um, there are only two questions, and you're allowed to confer, and it would be good if you could just like shout out your answers, because otherwise we could still be here for a long time. Now, those who've been around for a while should find question number one fairly easy, because we've already had this one once this year in a quiz. So, in the Old Testament, 12 books are often referred to as the Minor Prophets. Without looking, because I know what you like, how many of them can you call to mind? And just shout out names of Minor Prophets. And you've heard three of them already in, in the call to worship, so you've got a start at the ten. Micah, fabulous. Amos, Joel, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Hosea, Nahum, Obadiah, that's eight, that's pretty good. Jonah, nine. Malachi, ten. I think you've missed Nahum and Haggai, I think those are the two that are missing. Very good. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I actually finally learned those. I've got it in front of me, but I did actually finally learn them this year. Okay, well done. Okay, this is slightly more difficult, question two. Excluding those who are referred to as false prophetesses, there are 12 references to, the, to women in the Bible who were either recognised as prophetesses or who quite clearly prophesied, even though they didn't have that title. So without getting your Bibles out, can you recall any of those? Now, this is a much harder question. Although you've had a couple of clues, again, in the call to worship. Deborah, yep. Hannah, yep. Lydia's not listed, interestingly, but, yep, she's, she could be. Over there. Uh, Rachel, yes. Um, Esther's not referred to as a prophet. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Who, some of them, I, I have to confess, I hadn't heard of some of them. Um, we've had well, one was mentioned in, uh, right at the start. Sorry, Miriam. Yep, very good. Okay, shall I tell you? This is this is according to what I looked up, and the others may be as well, but just not in what I looked up. Miriam, Deborah. Huldah, Noadiah, Isaiah's wife, Anna, the daughters of Philip, who had, um, he had four daughters, uh, Rachel, Hannah, 
Abigail, Elizabeth and Mary. So, so why did I have a silly little quiz like that to, to make you stretch your brains on a Sunday morning? Well, just simply to remind ourselves that as well as the official prophets who might have books of the Bible named after them or have been identified as that, there have always been people, both women and men, in whom what might be termed a prophetic gift was detected, at least on some occasions. So it could well be that Esther and Lydia had, had a sense of the prophetess or prophet about them. As a general rule, the stories of the male prophets are longer and more elaborate, but those of the women are no less important because they often arise at really significant points in the grand narrative of salvation history. On the second Sunday of Advent, it's traditional to focus our attention on the prophets, hearing again words spoken in ancient times, and seeking to interpret them, both as pertaining to the birth of Christ, and speaking into our lives here and now. There is a kind of now and not yet tension, the tension of God's kingdom. We look backwards to Bethlehem and forwards to the new Jerusalem, And these kind of come together in some kind of mysterious way as we get closer to them. I think sometimes as well it's good to remind ourselves that prophetesses and prophets do not primarily foretell what will happen. They are not seers or soothsayers or holy fortune tellers. Rather they foretell They speak out as if in God's voice, as if God's very self was speaking into the lives of their contemporaries, the people they live amongst. And here is a mystery, surely worth pondering. These words spoken in ancient times to a different set of people, these words interpreted by the church down the ages as referring to Christ are also words that can speak to us here and now. Now, I don't know how good your hearing is, but I heard um, a little mutter over there when I said Isaiah's wife, and somebody said, which one? And that's a good point, actually, because most of us, I suspect, are aware that the book we know as Isaiah is generally accepted as a composite. Not one book, all are written at the same time, but at least two, and more probably three, written at different times. One written before the exile of Israel, and two written about 200 years later, following it. Certainly there are some dramatic changes in the language, in the style, and the feel of the book as you go through it. Now you don't have to accept that hypothesis, not everybody does, but it's generally what is accepted by scholars, by Jews and Christians the world over. Chapters 1 to 13, sometimes called Proto-Isaiah or First Isaiah, frequently refer to the prophet by name, whereas from the beginning of chapter 40 onwards, it all changes. The name of Isaiah isn't used again, it's completely anonymous. If you look at most contemporary Bibles, you'll also note that whilst the majority of the first 39 chapters is written in prose, 
Suddenly, at the beginning of chapter 40, it changes to poetry. And it carries on in poetry until chapter 56, where equally suddenly it goes back to prose. And that's partly because we think it's three books put together. As I say, it doesn't prove it. But let's work on the basis that Isaiah 40 to 55 is a book written for the Israelite people when they were in exile, far from home, in a strange land, and wondering where it will all end. Because if we hear it in the light of that context, that this was written to people in exile, far from home, at a difficult time, it will affect the way we hear it. We will hear it differently from how we hear it as if it was written before the exile. I wonder if you can recall a time when you felt utterly alone. Utterly bewildered by what was happening to you. And maybe what was happening to those you loved. A time when it seemed when everyone and everything was against you. A time when you might even have wondered, have I done something to offend God that I'm now being punished? A place, literal or metaphorical, you'd never ever have chosen to go. Night after night you go to bed crying. Or you lie awake tossing and turning and thinking it through over and over and over and wondering where's this all headed? Everything seems dark. You wonder if the light at the end of the tunnel has been switched off. It even seems as if God is silent, not hearing or answering your cry of how long or why or even I'm sorry. Because that's the kind of context in which Israel found itself. And I suspect many of us, if not all of us, have sometimes had some sense of that isolation abandonment, desolation, despair. And then somebody at church or a friend or a neighbour gives you a book and you think, oh great, just what I need. Another book to tell me to pull my socks up and pray harder and sort out my sins. And Well, you'd be polite because that's what you do, isn't it? So you'll thank you very much and you, you take it home. And so you sit down and you open it. And the first line of the book says this. Comfort my people. I'll say it again. Comfort my people. These are startling words. They're wonderful words. Probably overwhelming words. It's as if God is saying, enough already. This has gone on long enough. Enough tears, enough regret, enough pain, enough learning of lessons. The slate is wiped clean. What is past is past. Sins are forgiven. It's time to end this suffering. Can it be true? In this dark, depressing situation, is it just possible 
that God would reach out and command someone, a prophet or prophetess, to offer us comfort. That God wants to offer us, literally or metaphorically, an arm round the shoulders or a hug. Someone to wipe away our tears. To tell us that all will be well in a way that actually carries a ring of truth rather than the hollow echo of irony. The job of the prophet is to see with the eyes of God what is wrong. And what is wrong is that the people of God are so battered and bruised that they are emotionally and spiritually paralysed. It's not the case that they need to mend their ways or repent more or suffer more because that isn't going to achieve anything. Whatever happened in the past, God's choice is not just a kind of cold, clinical erasure of sin, but comfort, a warm embrace of divine love that says, you matter, you're important, I care. Can we hear that word spoken to us? in our own dark places, in our own internal, spiritual, emotional exile. Because God speaks these words to us every much as God spoke them to the ancients. Comfort my people. But then comes a call to action. You can't just sit back and savour that moment eternally. Actually, having discovered the warmth of God's comfort is the call to work for God's kingdom. Clear the way for God's purposes. Get rid of all the debris from the past, the broken promises, the tattered remnants of failed endeavours. If something looks like a pit to fall into, fill it up. If something looks like a mountain to climb over, tear it down. It's hard work, but if you want the Lord to come, then you have to get involved and clear the way. I wonder what are the pitfalls or obstacles that we perceive as standing in the way of God's purposes? What are the structures or systems that ensnare us and others in cycles of injustice or oppression? What are the corporate or societal sins, whether of omission or commission? What are the stumbling blocks or ruts? And how do we do our bit, however tiny, to prepare for the Lord's coming? Perhaps we feel that it's people who get in the way. Powerful people, cruel people, abusive or aggressive people. But the prophet has something to say about that too. People are like grass. 
here today and gone tomorrow. These people who oppress you, those who obstruct you or hurt you, the politicians and the spin doctors, the dictators and the tycoons, they're temporary. There's only one eternal, and that's God. We aren't promised an instant fix, no zapping from on high those who make life difficult for us and others. Rather, we have to recognise temporality, provisionality, and mortality. We pass this way but once, and fleetingly. So we can be centred on ourselves and what we want and what makes us happy and fulfilled and what have you. Or we can think about service, about giving. And surprisingly in the giving, finding the fulfilment and joy we perhaps seek. If there is any hint of caution in this passage, it's just this. That actually, unlike God, we haven't got eternity to act. We have to do our bit here and now. So comforted, called to clear the path, I would say to make a level playing field might be how we would describe it. The people of God are now to shout from the highest point and on every street corner the good news. Good news, God is coming. And God is coming, even though sometimes it seems as if he tarries interminably. God is coming, even as the darkness threatens to envelop us. God is coming, even in a place of exile, marginalisation or seeming abandonment. God is on the move. God is on the way. God's coming. God's coming to comfort, to restore, to call, to commission and to redeem. And how does God appear? God appears like a marginalised manual worker on the very edge of society. It's a shepherd who seeks out frightened, bewildered, vulnerable, hungry, thirsty, lost lambs, scoops them up into his arms and carries them back to the safety of their mothers. The people are told not to wait for some mighty ruler who's going to sweep away your oppressors and give you a life of ease. Rather, it's a call to join in with what's already happening. This gentle, rescuing God coming to our aid. And that is worth shouting about. I wonder what it is the prophet wants to say to us as individuals today as well as as a community of faith. What do we need to hear? 
do we need that promise of comfort? Because if we do, just dare to believe that God wants to comfort you. Do we need to hear the call to level the playing field or the road along which the Lord will travel? Because if that's what God's saying to us, then we need to think how we play our part in that. Perhaps it's the reminder, as has otherwise been expressed uh, in an Eastern context, that this too will pass, that everything is temporary, and that all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Perhaps we need to hear that, the temporality and the eternal promise. Or perhaps we need the, the challenge and the encouragements to shout about our hope. Because I know that I'm not so good at that one. To do it publicly, to do it loudly, and to do it proudly. This is something wonderful that we have to offer. Or perhaps what is needed to be heard today is this promise of being scooped up and carried safely home. Prophetesses and prophets are often imagined as the scary denouncers of sin and the proclaimers of doom. Unless you do this, says the Lord, I'm going to smite you. But this opening page of Second Isaiah gives us a different image. One in which the hopeful imagination of the prophet expresses the gracious promises of the God who saves. We come together in our praise for others and in our praise for each other. Let us pray. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. For the people who walk in darkness shall see a great light. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us, we give thanks that you are with us in humility. You, our Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus came into the world stepping out of the pages of the Old Testament into our world and into our lives, changing the world forever and transforming lives today. There is much in this incarnation that we do not understand, but we know that it came about through your love for the world, and for this we offer eternal praise of thanksgiving. Emmanuel, God with us as the light that shines in the darkness. As we remember once again the birth of your Son, we pray for the strength to act now for the work of your kingdom and the humility to shine the light of your love and your gracious promises on one another. 
Emmanuel, God with us in rejoicing in this time of waiting, of expectation, of the rejoicing that is to come. We rejoice that you came to us in your Son and that you're with us today. Comfort your people, O God. Emmanuel, God with us in all our suffering. Your son was born into an unwelcome world and lived through all human emotions of joy and sadness and of suffering with the ultimate sacrifice of betrayal and of giving his life for us. His friends, your people. We pray that you will be with all those who are suffering in our world today from physical suffering and mental anguish and with those seeking freedom to live and to be. Comfort your people, O God. Emmanuel, God with us today. The birth of your son was not just the most important historical event in our world, but something that is eternally contemporary. God with us today and every day, as our salvation as the hope for the world. Let us rejoice and be glad, for you're with us always, comforting your people, O God. Amen. God of prophetess and prophet, lead us. Lead us into your kingdom with lightness of burden and brightness of spirit. Lead us onward. Lead us to freedom. And let the good news of Christ be on our lips and in our hearts, today and each new day. (laughs) 